raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle, intercepted, Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way at the 30, the 40, Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick, the heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line, Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams going to throw, one-on-one, Davis has it, touchdown, Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division. Champion Bernard fields it at the 26, heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's gonna take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. Tough Blog Podcast. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnata, with you guys as always. And today, I'm I'm just I'm just gonna say Josh Marlowe is here with me. Oh. And we are pissed. That's every day. But but today, I think it is an entirely new level of the NCAA just continues to be the be, cesspool that it is. Yeah, I, I was going to just say be the NCAA. A, I mean, look, the NCAA has pretty much been toothless, been, been deemed toothless, I should say, with everything that's gone on with NIL and everything like that. But today... They tried to basically make an example of two young men. That's one thing I do want to stress here. While while we are going to talk about the Carolina angle of what happened today with Tez Walker, he is not the only player that is going through this. There's another player in his own conference that is dealing with the exact same scenario. Nobody else in the country. Only these two players are dealing with this. Um and if you didn't if you didn't hear what happened earlier today, it was revealed during a press conference that Mac Brown held and it was a short one. This is not a typical one for him. I got to be honest, I don't even know if this is going to be his typical day that he speaks. I would imagine it'll probably be tomorrow. They'll ha- he'll have his normal weekly press conference because that was when the first practice was was on a Wednesday. So, more than likely, he is going to end up doing it uh, each week. 
on Wednesdays uh, moving forward. But this one today, you knew something wasn't right when he calls the press conference. And look, there's some injury news that we'll update you on at the end of the episode. So maybe people thought that was what it was. But both him, Monty Galloway spoke. We're going to let you hear some of what they had to say um, about Tez Walker, who was deemed ineligible by the NCAA for this upcoming season. Um, basically, his transfer waiver uh, that was submitted uh, was denied. And so now Carolina is going through the appeals process. Um, you'll hear from Mac Brown here in just a second that you know they feel good about things. They, they're, they're hopeful. But this is one of the worst possible outcomes for Carolina on the field and for the student-athlete himself when you read through the story. Real quick, let's let you hear what Mac Brown had to say. He kind of breaks it down just a little bit here of the Tez Walker situation and how things are panning out right now. Tez Walker was, uh, we're trying to secure his immediate uh, eligibility. Um, he's a two-time transfer. We submitted a waiver and the waiver was denied. And um, uh, we filed an appeal. We're waiting to hear back. Under the rules, when, Des, uh, when Tez transferred, um, he was enrolled, but he met the criteria for a, a transfer to be uh, automatically eligible. He enrolled in classes in January 9th. And then the um, uh, NCAA changed the rule January 11th. Um, the NCAA indicated approval of his waiver uh, at that time, uh, but that was before the change of, of the waiver directive. Um, Tez has only played football at one school and should be considered a first-time transfer. His reasons for transferring, like I said, it's closer to home, be closer to his grandmother, who is dealing with, with bad health issues. We feel very, very good moving forward that the NCAA will look at this and understand this isn't a normal case of a double transfer, and, um, and, and they will go ahead and accept the appeal and let him be able to play when we open up for the season. So you hear Mac kind of lay it out there. Um, I mean, to, to go a little more in depth, he did talk about this. But what happened with Tez Walker at a high school, he commits to East Tennessee State, uh, went to high school in the Charlotte area, West Charlotte High School, actually. Uh, he commits to East Tennessee State. He tears up his knee, never plays a single snap for them. Uh, and ends up transferring. He then goes to NC Central in the 2020 offseason. He is set to play in the fall of 2020, but NC Central ends up delaying their season due to COVID, pushing it back to the spring of 2021. Well, eventually, NC Central decides they're not going to play football at all. We saw some FCS programs that chose not to play. If you remember, the Ivy League was off for the entire year. There were others around the FCS level and even lower levels than that that chose not to play football that year at all. And that's what NC Central did. So he again enters the transfer portal. Never played a single snap there. He then goes on to to, uh, Kent State. He ends up playing two years there and then enters the transfer portal. So that was the only school that he played for. He then transfers into Carolina. He enrolls 
in classes. So he transferred before to Carolina. He made his decision before. He transfers in and enrolls in classes on January 9th. The new rule by the NCAA then takes effect or, or is put into effect, actually, on January 11th. Um, so that they didn't even have an official ruling on that at the time that he enrolled in school. So what do you make of this situation with Tez Walker and this interesting time for the NCAA to attempt to flex their muscle with everything else that is going on in not only the sport of college football, but college sports in general? Yeah, I mean, like when you look at it from the NCAA perspective, I don't expect anything less. You know, they are to college sports what are what what Washington and DC is to the country. It's a cesspool and it's some of the worst leadership in the history of humanity. Um, when you look at it this from a, from a Carolina perspective, I, I tweeted and called it, and you can follow me at HTB underscore Josh, nightmare scenario for Carolina because this is a dude that we, we've seen produce at Kent State. Uh, he was named to the Bolitnikov preseason watch list, so that kind of tells you what – the college football world thinks of this guy. Mm-hmm. We, we saw it in the spring. There was already a connection and chemistry established with Drake May. Like, if, if this guy isn't there, like, Carolina still has talent and they still have depth in the wide receiver room. But I don't know if they have a number one. He's a number one guy. And if this guy isn't on the, isn't on the field – it's hard to say how does that you know impact your expectations or the projected win total. It, at least on paper, makes Carolina's offense a uh, a lot less dynamic than what it would be if he's on the field with them. So, um, hopefully, this thing can get resolved because if 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 he's if he's on the field. It's going to make everybody else on the field better. Yeah, I mean, look, we'll talk about that a little more in depth, uh, you know, here in in a few minutes. But I think for right now, it, the the situation itself is just heartbreaking. I mean, you're talking about a guy that you know. There's so many elements to this. I mentioned the fact that he enrolled before this rule was put in place, so. I don't really understand how it is possible that, hey, this rule wasn't in place, but you should have known about it. Because am, am I am I wrong to say this? If he knows about this rule, do you think he transfers to Carolina? Um, Probably not, right? Because you got to sit out a whole year. He's already set out two years of his college career. He's coming off of one of his most successful seasons. I mean, he probably stays at Kent State and, you know, continues his career. It would, it, it would suck because, you know, the other element of this, and you heard Mac Brown talk about it in the clip we played, is that he was moving back to be closer to family. But guess what? You know what? If you're thinking, well, maybe the NCAA will have a heart for that. No, they will not. They don't give a damn because we saw this this scenario a few years ago when you may remember then Georgia tight end Luke Ford transferring to Illinois to get closer to home. He gets denied a waiver, and the reason he was trying to get closer to home was because his mom was dealing with cancer. 
So the NCAA doesn't give a damn about any scenario like that. They don't have a heart. They, they, they do not care. And it's why, at this point, you need to separate from these bums. You, you need to establish a different governing body than the one that you currently have. Because you can say whatever you want. The NCAA does not care at all about athletes. And if you want to take it to the conference realignment talks, you can go ahead and bring it there. But it's, it's being proven time and time again that they are all they are concerned about is money and power. And they're choosing on it to, to flex their muscle in this scenario, in a case where a guy transfers home to be closer to his family. But even more confusing, it, it was a scenario that he literally could not have planned for because nobody knew this was actually a thing. Did you did you know about this before this rule was actually set? They released that they they sent sent out the release back in January. Did you even know this was a rule that they were considering and putting on the table? Uh, I mean, I'm probably sure I knew about it, forgot about it in passing. I don't, but but like to me, like was it a big news story that hey they were moving they th- this was coming? Not really. It kind of came out of nowhere. So how are kids supposed to plan for that if you do everything oh, right? Oh, they weren't. This th- this was put in place to trap kids. Yeah, that's 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 what it was. Because you, you remember it was what you said. Well, January what eleventh is when the rule. January eleventh, he enrolled January 9th in so classes. You're talking about what? Just a few days after the college football season comes to an end with the national title game. Yes. And keep keep in mind, by and, the way, and, and at the height of the the portal season where transfers are going in left and right, kids are committing left and right, like. This was probably talked about, but probably talked about in passing because you had 12,000 people in the transfer portal. And look, does the transfer portal need to be regulated? Absolutely. I'm not going to complain about the NCAA trying to pass a way to regulate kids from, from leaving tough situations, but there's got to be some... Some some sort of way to navigate this, like if kids are moving back home to be closer to family because they've got a very close family member that's going through something, they're going through an illness, a sickness where that family member is going to die, I don't care if the kid's transferred 17 times, let the kid transfer. You, you, you know, and I, th- that's the problem is because it feels like you know, the NCAA tries to do something right because they realized, oh man, this thing's getting out of control. We need to regulate this. Yep. But but then but then you you don't allow these types of situations, which should be allowed to to not even be thought about twice. Like the the thing is, is like he shouldn't even have to apply for a waiver. Like he should just be able to tell them, I'm going back home because my X, Y, and Z is dying or whatever. But for some whatever reason, we got to go through the the legalities of this and. The NCAA has proven time and time again they're not smart enough to make the right decision. Yeah, and look, I mean, look, the situation with his grandmother, I mean, it, it, we don't know where it currently stands in terms of her actual health, but we do know that she is ill, and that is the reason that he is moving back here. It's the same thing with Daryl Jackson. 
uh, the, the Florida State defensive tackle, transferred from Louisville. Ba- basically the same exact situation. It's just, I, I don't get it, man. I, I, I just I just don't understand. And, I mean, it, it, I know people are going to say, well, the rules are the rules. Well, but, but how is it a rule if a guy is already on campus when the rule is officially put in place? That doesn't make any sense. Yes, I agree with the rule. I think the rule makes some sense moving forward. Now, of course, you should. there are extenuating circumstances, which you do have here, that even if he had played at two different schools, it should be taken into account, and then you can give that player a waiver. I don't think there, there's anybody should be questioning that. But what they were doing, as you said, made sense. You're trying to prevent a guy like JT Daniels, who has played at three schools already, and he's set to play at a fourth this upcoming season. And guess what? He is going to get to play because he, I don't know, I, I i guess he was enrolled well before. I just, to me, it does not make any sense. I, are you punishing a kid because he, like, when, when else was he supposed to enroll? He enrolled at the earliest possible time that he was allowed to. And... You're saying that he's wrong for that? Also, and I, I, I'm pretty sure this is part of the rule. We've heard it a few times. Isn't it also supposed to be uh, part of the rule that if a coach, if your head coach transfers, or transfers, mm. if your head coach leaves, you can transfer freely? Yep. Yes. What did his head coach do in the offseason? Left for another job. Most of his staff as well left for another job. Now, that's not the reason that he's transferring, but it it just, I mean, to me, it doesn't make sense. And then when you also think about the situation overall, so not only did you come to this decision, you at one point had deemed him eligible, allowed him to go through six months of being on campus. You go through spring practice. You establish that rapport with, Drake May, as you're saying, you go through off-season workouts and then you start fall camp with the team. And now you're going to come out and say, yeah, he's ineligible. Yeah. And you've got a month to appeal this before the game. Actually, 25 days to appeal this before the first game. And I'm sure, right, the NCAA, even if they are going to actually consider the appeal, they will take their sweet-ass time getting to this, right? This ain't going to be no quick process. We've seen this before. Now, here's the thing. I, I mentioned it, and you know we'll, we'll, we'll play it here. Lonnie Galloway speaking afterwards, uh, after practice today, about the situation, and he says that he knew something was wrong with Tez Walker when they took the field this morning. He probably wouldn't want me to say this, but we're at practice, and I'm like, because Tez is normally a upbeat guy, you know, quiet, but I knew something was wrong. So I was like, what's wrong? You know, he leaned his head on my shoulder and started crying. And I'm like, what's going on? He said, Coach, I, I hope I get to play football. I did everything that I was supposed to do. You know, and, and that's, you know, part of the struggle that he's dealing with. And, 
you know, the mental part of it for him. You know, I thought I was all the procedures was, was going the way that I, I handled my business the right way. And now is whether or not he's going to be eligible. So you can imagine what that does to a 21, 22-year-old kid, you know, thinking that you've done right and not to know whether or not he's going to get to play this year. I mean, it's just it's just heartbreaking to hear. I mean, if, if that doesn't make you well up just a little bit, then you, need, you, you may need to seek help. I mean, it's just it's a heartbreaking story. This was his chance. This was going to be his grandmother's first time being able to see this young man play in a stadium that he probably went to multiple times as a child living in Charlotte. And now that dream could be out the window and his entire season could be gone. Not to mention guy that a lot of people thought had had upside could be a day two pick in the NFL draft. If he hits the way that many are expecting him to hit this year at a power five school. I mean, this is, this is just an all around crap look for the NCAA. Oh yeah. There's, there's, there's definitely no denying it. And, um, you know, I think the one thing we can say about this staff, as much, man, as <laughs> you and I have complained about them, the one thing you can't complain about, and this is what we all love about Mac Brown, is he's a head coach that that genuinely loves and, and cares about his kids, and he puts the staff members around him that, that – feel the same way and look that doesn't happen in today's college athletics anymore like a lot of these younger coaches they're in it for the money because there's a lot of money to be made some of the older coaches are just old school where they're just you know they're they're really they're really tough on their kids there's nothing wrong with being that type of coach um but there's also nothing wrong with being a player's coach through and through and that's what mac brown is and that's what lonnie galloway is and you know that's they remind me at at times where college athletics are in complete shambles right now conferences realignment is is ruining the sport yet again you've got the NCAA making bad decisions there are still good people in leadership positions like Mac Brown like Lonnie Galloway that still make you want to be interested in college sports where the majority of the coaches with all the stuff going on outside of the uh, outside of the game could make you want to wipe your hands and be done with it for good. Yeah, I mean, it th- that's that's the perfect way to put it, man. It, it shows Mac Brown has shown countless times and you better believe he's going to do everything that he possibly can to try to fight to get Tez Walker on the field for that first game of the year, on the field at all this season to where you know, this young man, I mean, he, he, this story clearly moved Mac Brown because he told this story at ACC Media Days. And it was, it was a powerful one. You know, he told the story last year of Cedric Gray, but this one, this one was, was special. All that this young man had been through. I mean, I put it in the article. Out of all the stuff that he said throughout that day, up on the uh, up on the stage in the breakout room on radio row i find it hard to believe that there was much that there that there was a quote that was more impactful than that one 
of him telling that story while up there on the stage. And now, a story that looked like it was getting a happy ending apparently is not. Yep. Because here's the thing, and we'll we'll, we'll talk about what it means at, at the receiver position here in just a second. Do you do you honestly believe that the NCAA is going to end up granting him eligibility? Because I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think so. And I, I'm going to tell you why. I think they're going to use him, and I think they're going to use Daryl Jackson. As unfair as it is, they are going to use them as poster children to, to show recruits in the future, do not do this. These are the two guys that are going to be casualties of this. And it's pathetic. It's low. It's scum of the earth stuff from the NCAA. But I would not be shocked if this is what they do to try to, quote unquote, scare straight the rest of the the the, the, guy, the players in college athletics from going in the transfer portal a second time. Yeah, I, I'm going to go on a limb and say yes because Mac Brown's going to be the guy that's going to be leading the fight. And um, there's not a better complainer in the country than Mac Brown. Mm. So, Oh, there's a couple guys in the SEC that are starting to give him a run for his money. Uh, I'll tell you. I, I, I feel like he will complain and complain. And complain. He'll probably lose 40 more pounds from complaining until this gets rightfully passed. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say, eventually, with everything that they got to take into consideration, I know they denied it. If 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 they deny it a a, a second time, um, I was I'm trying to think of what we need to happen. I mean, could could there could there be an uprising within the sport? I mean, look at the reaction that you've gotten. And 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 Walker's I think has been more publicized so far, but I mean, look, you, you need to talk about the Daryl Jackson aspect as well. Like, could there could there be a legitimate uprising from some of the coaches within the sport, even certain athletic directors probably within the sport? Well, like the biggest thing about this decision is it's it's the NCAA telling you they believe in like. And, and who you are and you're standing in the sport. Because, like, let's just say, for instance, this was Caleb Williams. You think they're denying Caleb Williams a chance to win on the football field? No. No, because he's the biggest star in the sport. But because this is a transfer wide receiver from Kent State, oh, yeah, well, you know, who is he? Like, the NCAA probably doesn't even know his name. They probably just see two-time transfer trying to go from NCA&T to Kent State to North Carolina. Yeah, we're going to go ahead and say no. So I mean that's that's the other thing is that there's just there there's clearly double standards that exist when, dude like, um J T Daniels has done the conference realignment of transfers. I mean that's it, the thing that's just driving me crazy. Time zone to from time zone to conference to conference with with no with no re, with, with with no punishment no whatsoever, and then you're gonna you're gonna tell this dude yeah we're not gonna let you play football. And he was in on time. That's I, I just oh, you know, like just you know, like if that happens, the NCAA can go into a room and and and, and they can scratch themselves because at that point there'd be no hope. Yeah, I mean, I'm look, I'm hopeful, but at the same time, I just I am so worried that this is going to be the NCAA. These two guys are going to be the ones that they use as examples moving forward. 
We've seen it before in situations like this. And I, I just, I hope for both of these guys' sakes that that is not what ends up happening. That they look at these situations, they say, first of all, they both did it the right way before the rule was in place. And then, you know, there, there are extenuating circumstances as well that we have to take into account. So let's talk about the impact that it has on the wide receiver room. Because as you mentioned earlier, this is th- this could be potentially detrimental to the off the, to the offense for Carolina this year. And look, do I think that if he doesn't play, Carolina's going to be a horrendous offensive team? No. You, first of all, you trust the man that is ru- that is running that wide receiver room and Lonnie Galloway. This, this guy has developed some really, really talented receivers over and over again. Look at what he was able to do with guys like Daz Newsom, Antoine Green. I mean, these guys, you know, before he got there, were they going to the NFL? Uh, probably not. But he ends up getting those guys there. I'm, I mean, if you lose him, it's, it's, big because that's your deep threat over the middle. This guy, first of all, preseason All-ACC, as we're saying, they only have one preseason All-Conference team. It's not like, oh, he was preseason All-Conference third team. No, no. He was a first-team member. He landed on the Bolitnikov Award watch list. Nate McCollum wasn't on there. And he, he was another guy that was an extremely productive transfer, one of the more productive ones that were in the portal. He wasn't on there, though. And he was a guy that played at the Power 5 level. This is a guy coming up from the Group of 5 level, and that many people have thought it. And there are a lot of people, there are a lot of scouts that have said, this dude is the real deal. He has a chance to be an all-conference player, and potentially if he hits you know, over the 1,000-yard the, the mark, if he can get to double-digit touchdowns again, and depending on what it looks like, this dude could potentially be an All-American-type player. So with him out, I mean, it's a huge blow to Carolina, but the good news is is you look at the, the pass-catching group, there are guys that I think would prevent Carolina from being that bad, that starved, in terms of pass catchers with him gone, I mean, look, you, you still got Nate McCollum, who I like a lot, really good addition from Georgia Tech. I think he fits this offense perfectly. It's going to take him to another level. I, I look at him as a guy that can definitely be a 1,000-yard receiver. We love Kobe Pesor. The thing is, is can he play on the outside? Well, now they may need him to. And I think he's a guy that's more than capable of playing on the outside because I think he's just got that ability to create separation. He has as as reliable of hands as you're going to get. And I've said it multiple times, but he started three games last year. What did he do in all three of those games that he started? He led the team in receiving. And you've got Gavin Blackwell, who's taken a step this offseason. Mac Brown's you know been very complimentary of him. He was the guy... Heard it when we talked to Michael Coe after the first day of camp. He was the guy that was out there with the blue team, along with Devontae Walker and Nate McCollum. He spent the most time in that second outside receiver position. So those are the guys you're looking at. J.J. Jones as well coming back. Andre Green Jr. It's going to be time for him to step up. You're going to need him to. And 
you've also got that tight end group that we've talked so much about. So, look, I, I feel I feel confident that Carolina will be okay, but you're talking about the loss of a guy that could be a potential first-team all-conference, maybe even an all-American type of player. I mean, that's nearly impossible to replace. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the good thing is that at least Carolina has recruited well at this position. There's talent in the room. There's depth in the room. Um, you've got tight ends that you can get involved in your passing game. You've got running backs that can also help kind of fill that void as well. And, you know, look, if you want to look at this from a positive angle, if we want to go as if Walker's not going to be on the field, this forces Carolina to get other people involved. This can't just be what the offense was in 2021 where as Sam Howell and Josh Downs went, Carolina went. Like, you know, if, if he's not on the field, Carolina's got to use their other guys. And, you know, kind of like what you saw when, when Larry Fedora had the program at, at, at its height, he had able guys uh, pretty deep down that depth chart to go in there and get the job done. I, I think Carolina's got more talent, more depth than they had under Larry Fedora. So they're set up to where if Walker's not on the field, that, that these guys can step in and play and, and make, an, um, make a big impact. But... Yeah, I, I'd feel a lot better about this season um, if if he's if he's on the field. Like I said, I, it's hard to quantify today what that does to the to to the record. You know, I think I had this team finishing my ACC ballot had them third. Yes, I, I don't know if that changes with him out on the field. I, I I think it definitely changed what happens week one. It makes it far from a certainty. You know, like I I I, I think without him, Carolina probably loses to South Carolina to open up the season. I so. Um, it's 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 going to be a work in progress. You know that's why hopefully this gets resolved quickly. Whether it gets approved and he can get back on the field. If the answer is no, the sooner the better. So this staff and this offense can move forward. Well, yeah, because he's still practicing with the team. He's still out there. Now, I mean, look, if if you're Mac Brown and the staff, look, I get it. You feel confident. You want to keep him positive that. This is going to work out for him. You still got a plan as if you are not going to have him week one. So you, you've you got to have backup plans. They've got guys with starting experience. See, this is the thing. You said that you thought with Walker in there it could resemble 21. See, I think this scenario where he's not out there, that could resemble more of 2021. That's, that's what scares me because I wonder if – Who's the one guy you're funneling the ball to? Nate McCollum. A guy that, I mean, because he, he, the thing is, it's very similar to what you had in Josh Downs. He's not as good as Downs, though. I mean, he's not, but he's really not that far from Downs. He, I mean, I'm telling you, this this dude is, I don't, I, I don't know if I would say he's as good of a route runner, but he's damn close. And, again, you look at the production that he put up in that system last year. At Georgia Tech. You know the last time a receiver had 655 yards like he did a year ago? DeAndre Smelter back in 2014. And what what type of player was DeAndre Smelter, by the way? Deep threat. This guy was a slot receiver. You know the last time that somebody had six or more touchdowns in a season for Georgia Tech? You know who the last player was to do that? Smelter again. I got that one wrong. I got that confused in my head. The other one, 60 receptions in a a season. K. 
Calvin Johnson was the last player to do that for them. Yeah, but I mean, you also so, gotta, you know like you got to put some context with that. Look, look at that that program, the way that it's been built. It doesn't matter. So like, how many years have they been trying to transition? And yet, look at what they dealt with last year. You remember their quarterback situation when they got to us? Yeah, I, it was I, horrendous. I watched them come in my building and beat me. Like, um, you can't take anything away from this dude. This dude had a tremendous year at Georgia Tech. Yeah, I think he is. I'm not going to go as far to say he's on par with the type of player Josh Downs. I'm not was. saying he's on that level, but what I'm saying you just is said he was damn close. Isn't that? Isn't that yeah. Well, level? he's da- he he's He's damn close. He is a tier below where Josh Downs was. Josh Downs was, I mean, he was an elite-level college football receiver. Now, he fell in the draft because of the position that he played, and it'll be the same thing for McCollum. But this dude, I, I mean, he is in, I mean, he he if he has the type of year that he's capable of, there are people that think he could be very similar to Downs. And what I'm afraid of is that, that type of player, you know, Drake's going to become enamored. Now, the thing is, is look, he, he spread the ball around a lot more last year, and he had Josh Downs. He still found Bryson Nesbitt quite a bit. He still utilized uh, Antoine Green a lot. And you saw it when Josh Downs was off the field, he spread the ball around very well. It was just that Kobe Pesor happened to be the most productive guy of that group. So I'll I mean, I don't think you should have to worry about that, but you have to imagine that he developed a really strong chemistry with Walker based off of what we saw in that spring game. So it's not going to be easy for him. So, yeah, Carolina, I, I, I do worry that the passing game could become focused on one or two guys where before, as you mentioned, look, I mean, look at, with Walker in that room, look at how deep that room is. How many different guys they can rotate out there. Um, one that have starting experience. Most people forget last year, Gavin Blackwell started the first few games of the season. You had J.J. Jones start a ton of games a year ago. I think he may have started every game. And so, I mean, I, I think Carolina has the depth in that room, and not to mention the tight ends. But I do get concerned about that just a little bit. But hopefully it'll get resolved. The other news that came out of today, this one came out before practice, the announcement that two players are going to be out indefinitely because of lower body injuries that they will have to have surgery on. Junior cornerback legend Cavazos, who started the final three games of the year last year, and true freshman Offensive lineman R.J. Grigsby, guy that's really been trying to uh, break his way into the two deep at the guard position. Uh, Both of those guys are going to be out. Uh, No timetable uh, has been revealed. So, I mean, this one, like, Grigsby, it, it sucks because it puts him sort of behind the eight ball of the rest of these true freshmen. Um, he was a guy, luckily, that was with the team in uh, in the spring, so he's been there. He's been able to settle in. He's gone through the off-season workout program, so that'll definitely help him. But this could mean he's off the field for a significant period of time. You hate that because you want the the practice reps for some of those younger guys. Could have allowed him to potentially push for a role, even if it wasn't this year in the two deep. You know, potentially down the line. Remember, 
Carolina's losing Edmontalis after the season. Uh, they're going to lose Willie Lampkin more than likely after the season. Uh, and there's a chance that they could also, uh, you know, that, that we know Corey Gaynor is going to be gone. And more than likely, you're also going to lose William Barnes. So Carolina is going to have a lot of guys leaving after the year on that offensive line. The more guys that you can have ready, the better. Uh, but at the same time, they still do have some pretty good depth there, especially at the guard position. Uh, right now, Adorno. Uh, and Lampkin look like they are going to be the starters. Ed Montalis will be the main guy that will rotate in, probably the best role for him, to be honest. Uh, and then they do have Zach Rice, who they moved into guard. Uh, he's going to be getting a ton of reps probably moving forward, uh, you would imagine. So, uh, and But he's going to have to fight off Malik McGowan, a guy that's been in the, been in the system for a while. Uh, seems like he's in better shape now, and that could allow him to potentially have an impact. So good depth there. The cornerback position... This is the one that I think you, you you have to have a conversation about. Because as I mentioned, he started the final three games last year. I thought he was all right. I didn't think he was he was great, but I didn't think he was terrible. There's a reason why he wasn't going to start this year with Huzzy coming in and Marcus Allen out there. But he was in line to potentially be your primary backup corner and we've seen Carolina rotates corners a lot. They've also, that secondary, they have had a lot of injuries year in and year out. This year is no different. I mean, look at how many guys were out back in the spring dealing with things. They were either out of of fall, uh, out of the spring camp or uh, they were limited. So, I mean, I, this one this one stings a little bit, no doubt. Um, but the good news is, is there are some guys that are definitely stepping up there. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's just going to be something where, you know, kind of what you saw at the end of last year with, with some of the emergence, some of the young guys. You hope that that continues to grow and build, and um, you, you know, uh, th- th- this is where e- even more so now. Like if if your cornerback uh, depth is going to be a little bit more question mark, you need that defensive line to be better because a best, you know, that, that's what makes these secondaries look great. As great as these guys can be, as great as as talented as they can be. As, as as amazing as they can be doing all the technique stuff, it doesn't matter. Like, if, if, if they got to sit back there and cover for seven, eight seconds, they're going to be picked apart. Hopefully that's not the case this year, and hopefully we can get Cavazos back in there because he was a guy that right there with Allen, we really liked the way that those two dudes kind of emerged uh, down the stretch last year as the defense was kind of keeping Carolina in games while the offense uh, really, really took a step back. So hopefully this is something that won't impact the team too much longer. Yeah, I and that's the thing. It's a lower body injury. The surgery is is probably concerning. Um, some people have rumored that it's a knee. If it's something in the knee, I I mean that's probably not promising. You'd imagine it's going to be at least the first few weeks of the year, maybe even half the season before he gets back. The good news is they did not deem either one of these guys out for the season. Um, so that means that there's probably a chance they can return at some point. I, I think the biggest thing, look, with Cavazos, yeah, it hurts, but they do have a, a veteran transfer that they brought in, and Armani Chapman, who is there, who will be fighting for that role uh, along with Teon Holloway. The redshirt freshman who you know spent most of last year recovering from an injury that he suffered his final year in high school, 
and all indications. You know, Mac Brown's talked about him. That's a name that's been mentioned whenever they've talked about that cornerback room. Elijah Huzzy was raving about him when he talked to the media yesterday. So I think this guy, that's the guy to keep your eye on, is Tayon Holloway, a guy that could break out this season and really settle into that third cornerback role. And I think now more than ever, this is going to be his opportunity to do that. That'll be one of the more interesting battles to watch moving forward. Him and Armani Chapman as they battle for that primary rotational spot. And uh, we'll be keeping you up to date on everything going on around fall camp and anything going on with the Tez Walker situation over on the website, HeelToughBlog.com. Make sure you guys head over there. Also, we'll be having those position previews uh, that we've uh, been talking about so much. We'll be continuing to roll those out to you guys. I'm uh, re-putting back out some of those on social media that we have already done and then uh, eventually get to the offensive line and then head over to the defensive side of the football and the special teams unit to give you that breakdown. Of course, we are covering everything that's going on in camp. If the head coach of the Tar Heels speaks, if players speak, if coordinators speak, we're going to have that for you on the website with breakdowns of what they had to say. That's the best access that we're getting into camp, uh, especially since, you know, look, the media was out there the first day uh, of uh, of practice. We also talked, you know, to Michael Coe. Uh, but really, outside of that, there haven't really been many opportunities, it looks like, for the media to get out there and really see this team and and, and see what's actually going on. So uh, we're doing the you know best we can to make sure that we keep you guys uh, up to date on everything that's going on. And, of course, we'll have the articles that will get you ready for the season with our breakout stars, bold predictions, all that kind of stuff is just on the horizon. And with it being 25 days away, guys, The preview is not that far away for the South Carolina game, believe it or not. We'll have that in-depth preview for you guys that will break down Carolina, what the team will look like, and the team they'll face on the other side, the South Carolina Gamecocks. We'll also have a recap for you after the game, uh, as we normally do each and every time, where we give you our takeaways uh, from each and every game this season, and of course, plenty more coverage throughout the year. Also, recruiting stuff. Uh, as of right now, quiet for a little bit longer here, uh, 10 days away from the commitment of Javarius Green. We'll have you covered with everything on that front as Carolina tries to add one last piece to what will more than likely be their complete 2024 class. Uh, Basketball side of things, two big-time non-conference matchups have officially been announced. Today, it was the CBS Sports Classic uh, against Kentucky. A lot of people thought it was going to be UCLA, but it is not. It is going to be the Wildcats. So that rivalry is renewed between uh, the Tar Heels and Kentucky. Josh has a breakdown for you uh, on that on the website. And yesterday, Carolina found out they will be going back to Madison Square Garden where they've had some pretty good success. Of course, they won there last year against Ohio State in overtime. But this time, they will be facing the UConn Huskies. It's going to be an incredible environment up there. Carolina always has a ton of fans at the Garden UConn definitely has a lot of fans at the Garden, so you'll see those two passionate fan bases go head-to-head. Not to mention, it is the defending national champs that the Tar Heels will be taking on. That, probably their stiffest test of the non-conference, but uh, there, there are a ton of tests for Carolina. There was an article earlier in the week about the battle for Atlantis. Um, Carolina does have Tennessee, 
Oklahoma. It's going to be a big year, and uh, we're going to be taking you through that as well. Josh will have you covered during basketball season, so make sure that you are uh, checking out HeelToughBlog.com so you don't miss any of that whatever season it is. So that uh, wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Want to thank Josh for hosting with me. Want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. Thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.